Good morning, good morning on this Daylight Savings morning for all of you that uh, remembered to turn your clocks uh, ahead an hour. So we thank you for that and thank you for joining us. And uh, we'll go ahead and get right into the prayer this morning. So if you all would, please bow your head. Thank you, Father, for this time together that we have to worship you, to learn more about you. We thank you, Father, that the Word is Jesus, and the Word is within us, and so is your Holy Spirit. We thank you for all of that. We thank you for everything you've done for us, and we sow this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk about uh, the King and his kingdom. Yes, thank you, both of you. And I'm going to read a little bit from the lesson plan here. And so when I say I, it's not me, it's the author of the lesson plan. It says in the Old Testament, what made Israel distinct from all other nations was that it was a theocracy. In other words, it was ruled directly by God. And the first scripture for that is Isaiah 43:15. And Chris, I want to say thank you in advance for all the work you're going to be doing this morning. <laughs> I am the Lord, your Holy One the creator of Israel, your king. Later in Israel's history, they wanted to be like the other nations of the world, to be ruled by an earthly king. Next up is 1 Samuel 8, 5 through 22. And they said to him, Behold, you have grown old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel, when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Listen to the voice of the people in regards to all that they say to you. They have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. So, take a pause right there. So right off the bat, people are saying, Hey, look, let's look around. We're not like them. We want to be like them. We want accountability in the natural realm. We want, we want somebody to tell us what to do here. We don't trust. We don't have faith. So they wanted to establish what they wanted, which is a kind of Ishmael, which we can get to later. So, what did the Lord do? The Lord said, don't worry about it, because they're rejecting me, not you. And that ties into what we heard uh, last week with uh, persecution. Moving on. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day that I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, and that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now then, listen to their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them and tell them of the procedure of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel spoke all the words of the Lord to the people who had asked of him a king. He said, this will be the procedure of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and place them for himself in his chariots and among his horsemen, and they will run before his chariots. So, right off the bat, you want a king? First thing that's going to happen, you're going to take your sons. Back then, firstborn was a huge thing. A son was a huge thing. So right then, bam, something's valuable. This is what's going to happen. He's going to take them flat out. Second, 
he will appoint for himself commanders of thousands and of fifties, and some to do his plowing and to reap his harvest, and to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. Keep it back on 12, please. So the second part is, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're gonna take, first off, we're going to take your sons. Now, we're going to appoint them as commanders. Okay, so they're in a position of authority. All right, what are we going to do? And how many? Fifties, thousands. Okay, now what are we going to do? We're going to make the others work. We're going to make them plow. And you know what? They're going to plow the king's stuff. And they're going to reap the king's harvest for him. And then out of that, they're going to make war weapons. So other sons, shoulder to shoulder, can die. And then all his equipment for all his chariots. So it sounds like they are getting absolutely nothing. But the king is getting everything. Verse 13, please. He will also take your daughters for perfumers and cooks and bakers. Keep it there. And so all of a sudden now your, your sons are gone. And not only that, they're going to go work. And they're going to work hard. They're going to take and be commanders. They're going to work the fields. They're going to work the chariots. They're going to make weapons. And now they're going to take your daughters. What are your daughters going to do? They're going to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. So they're going to be working hard too. Next. He will take the best of your fields and your vineyards and your olive groves and give them to his servants. So now you take sons, your daughters, now you're going to take the best of your fields and your vineyards, which was their harvest, and your olive groves, which is your harvest, and give them to his servants. So he's not even going to keep them. He's going to give them to the servants to do with. doesn't say what he's going to do with them. He's going to give them to servants. Okay. Last verse. He will take a tenth of your seed and of your vineyards and give to his officers, to his servants. So now, there we go. We're going to take your sons. We're going to take your daughters. We're going to take your fields. And now we're going to take a tenth of your seed to your vineyards and give his officers and to his servants. So they asked. They said, you know what? Everybody else has got this. We have this, you know, we're being governed by the Lord, but it's not what we really want. We want this system here. Okay, well, if you want it, this is you get the king and you get all the king's system. So God granted their request and chose for them a king named Saul. First Samuel ten, twenty four to twenty five, please. Samuel said to all the people, Do you see him whom the Lord has chosen? Surely there is no one like him among the people. So all the people shouted and said, Long live the king! Then Samuel told the people the ordinances of the kingdom and wrote them in the book and placed it before the Lord. And Samuel sent all the people away, each one to his house. So Samuel says, Okay, this is what's going to happen. And the Lord says, Okay, you know what? I'm going to give you what to do. Bam. It's in a book. So now the king reads the book. And I got some notes here. Nope. Not yet. That will be later. And you have a book. You have this book that says, okay, this is what I need to do. So it's a helpful thing, but it's still another governing tool. So you take God out, and now you want to set up this rule. So God has, you know what, you're going to have a king that has all of his procedures. And not only that, the king now has his own procedure. Then after that, 
Uh, I'm sorry. And a side note, in First uh, Samuel 13:1, which is not a scripture you have, Saul was 30 when he started, and he reigned for 42 years. So can you imagine this? They said, we want a king. God says, okay, you know what? Fine. You get a king. Bam. We're going to take all your kids. Bam. We're going to go to war. Bam. We're going to take your food. Bam. We're going to take your tent. Bam. You know what? He's going to be in place. Just him alone for 42 years. So not only is that a huge procedure that they have to get a hold of, now their entire life for 42 years is governed by the same guy. And I don't know about you, but I think I would rather have God governing me for an infinite amount of time more than somebody that just took the reins and all of a sudden 42 years? That's a lot to swallow. So, later, God raised up David to be king, a man after his own heart, which is found in Acts 13, 21-22. Then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin for 40 years. After he had removed him, because he disobeyed him. He raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he also testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all of my will. And then 1 Kings 15, 3-5, please. He walked in all the sins of his father, which he had committed before him. and His heart was not wholly devoted to the Lord his God, like the heart of his father David. For, but for David's sake, the Lord his God gave him a lamp in Jerusalem to raise up his son after him and to establish Jerusalem. Because David did what was right in the sight of the Lord and had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life, except in the case of Uriah, the, the hit on, but we don't, that's a rabbit hole we're not going to go down to. But you can see that the lineage of, okay, here's the first one, and then... I was incorrect, it's 40 years. Um, and then all of a sudden, bam, David, a man after God's own heart. And what does he say? He had not turned aside from anything that he commanded him all the days of his life. I just want to take a second and let that sink in. So can you imagine, not only has this the big procedure of now we have an earthly king over us, but you're still governed by the Father, by, well, at that time, you know, God as well. And David didn't do anything wrong. So imagine being in that your world is turned upside down and you're still obeying God. And not only that, you're doing it to such an excellence that God says, you know what? Out of everyone, he's a man after my own heart. He is somebody right there that is doing exactly what I want him to do and how I want him to do it. That's, that's just something for all of us to kind of ponder and think about and on how we can emulate. It's, an, it's a biblical example of what excellence looks like right there. Moving on. The king was to be the visible representation of the invisible God, which is Deuteronomy 17, 14 to 20. When you enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, and you possess it, and live in it, and you say, I will set a king over me like all the nations who are around me. You shall surely set a king over you whom the Lord your God chooses one from among your countrymen, who shall set as king over yourselves. You may not put a foreigner over yourselves who is not a countryman. Keep it there, Chris. Right there, you look at it and go, okay, how does that apply to us? 
Well, right there shows you how important voting is. Shows you right there how important electing your official is in this country. So it's biblical right there. And I mention that because Tuesday is voting day. For those of you who have not voted early. So, again, it's biblical. It's not saying who. That's between God and you. But doing it is absolutely biblical. Thank you, Chris. If you go on to verse 16. Moreover, he shall not multiply, not multiply, horses for himself, nor shall he cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. Since the Lord has said to you, you shall never again return that way. 17. He shall not multiply wives for himself, the king, or else his heart will turn away. And so that's, that's bad. Nor shall he greatly increase silver and gold for himself. 18. Now it shall come about when he sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself a copy of this law on a scroll in the presence of the Levitical priests. It shall be with him, and he shall read all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by carefully observing all the words of his laws and these statutes. Last one. That his heart may not be lifted up above the countrymen, and that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right or the left, so that he and his sons may continue long in his kingdom in the midst of Israel. So right there, you keep it up for a second, right there it's showing you that, hey, don't look to your left, don't look to your right. Don't look at what everybody else is doing. Look at God. Always look up. When the king followed the Lord, he and his kingdom would prosper. And that's what we just read. Excuse me, that's what we just read where, hey, it's not the king's responsibility to go multiply his horses and his lands and all that stuff. It's God's. When the king failed to follow the Lord, he and his kingdom would, be, would go into captivity and ruin. 1 Samuel 15 22 to 23, please. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? So the question there is, sacrifice is good or is obeying good? Well, it says in the New Testament that, hey, if you love me, you keep my commandments. So, obedience, right? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice. Hey, look at that. It all ties together. And to heed then the fat of rams, which is a sacrifice. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. So right there, it's saying for rebellion is the, as, as the sin of divination. So what does that mean? That means that disobedience, it doesn't specify what level. It says disobedience. Is a sin of divination. So what does that mean? That means when you disobey God's word, the leaders he put over you, you are creating an avenue for Satan to get into. And do we really want that? No. Because our, our role here in our heart, just like Pastor Brian talks about, is our heart should be in the process of always being refined. Less of me and more of you. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. And I have a little note here. And it's talking about rebellion. It says, Samuel charges Saul with violating the central requirement of the covenant condition given to him when he became king. Talks about the sin of divination is a serious offense against the Lord. And you can go into Leviticus 19.26 or Deuteronomy 18.9-12, which we don't have. 
which Saul himself condemned. And it's also talking about how the fact that, hey, when you're in leadership roles, don't be so haughty to say, you know what, I got this. I'm good, I'm good, Father. No worries here. Well, why do you think the scrolls was important? It's a guideline, like we talked about earlier. Just like this. This is a guideline. Not only is this a guideline, but this is a person. Look at John 1.1. Who is he? He's the Word made flesh. Not only that, he is our master. There is a lot of people that talk about that of, as far as, hey, Jesus is in, I've accepted Jesus into my heart. And that's good, but there's more. There's so much more to that. Think about this. Living Scripture. Living Scripture is here inside of us. Okay. Moving on. When God chose a king, he would send a prophet to anoint that one with oil. This typified the Holy Spirit. Typified. This typified the Holy Spirit coming upon this one to empower and anoint him to rule. At this time, the Spirit of God would come upon him and change his heart to rule in righteousness. For God was with him. This anointing to rule, or to be king, is where the idea of the Messiah comes from. The word anointed is in Hebrew is Meshiach, or Messiah, and translated Christos, Christ, in Greek. So, you could translate that into the anointed one, Jesus, and his anointing. Right? So Christ is not his last name. My last name is Nower. People call me Nower all the time. Why? Because it's a cool thing to do. Nower has a meaning. But Jesus Christ, if we boil that down to just somebody's last name, we lose an entire revelation of a part of who he is. Abraham meant something. Why would we not think that the Son of God's name has a meaning? It's two words. Huge meaning. Huge revelation right there. We could talk about that for a long time, which I'm not going to. But the next scripture is 1 John 2, 27-28, please. For you, the anointing, which we just learned right here, translated, which you received from him abides in you. And you have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things. Where did we hear that? We heard that last week. We heard that in Pastor Nicole talking about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is in us. The Holy Spirit abides in you. You have no one to teach you who's talking about He's in here. We absolutely should submit ourselves to our pastors and those in spiritual leadership over us. But that doesn't preclude us from going to the Word ourselves. Going to the Word and saying, you know what? Father, can you open this up? Holy Spirit, please show me something new, some revelation. Because I hate to break to y'all, but we don't know everything. <laughs> All right, We don't. There's always something new. And not only that, it's, it's not like, a, wow, I just learned long division. It's a piece of Him. It's a piece of Him which is right here. It's a piece of Him and how much He loves us. 
the greater one is inside us. So in a way, we're learning about ourselves. We're learning even more on what we can do because it's the anointed. It's the anointing. It's here. Uh, verse 28, please. Now, little children, abide in Him so that when He appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from Him in shame at His coming. Abide in Him. What does that mean? Well, it's not an open form. I got you. That is, sorry. That is, hey, everywhere we go, He's there with us. Period. I will say that one of the greatest revelations of that, um, for me, was back in... 1996, I want to say probably around June time frame. No, 97. 1997. And there I was, private, private now, trying to figure out here on Fort Bragg, trying to figure out whether I should go to airborne school or not. Um, everybody else on Fort Bragg was, so if you didn't, you were kind of like, what's wrong with you? But it's jumping from planes, for those of you who don't know. Uh, being in an airborne unit is, means you, you literally walk out the door and a parachute goes off and you land. That's it. It's not a complicated thing. It's just a matter of doing it. Some people don't like heights. I'm not a big height fan, so this is a great way to get over it. And I will never forget that the time I had been praying about this for the Father uh, for a while. I gave it to him. I said, Father, I will do this if you want. And I've been praying and praying and praying, and I was watching a teaching one morning, and the minister was talking about love. And he says, you know what? I don't care if you learned about love while you were in the 82nd Airborne Division. And the Father said, it's time. Right there. I knew it in my spirit. You couldn't take it away from me. I knew in my knower. And so that set forth a chain reaction of events, and a year later, there I am in an airplane with a parachute on my back, thinking about making my first jump. And there is no way that I could have done it without him. There is no way. Um, the doors opened up, and there's a lot, everybody's kind of looking at each other going, you go first, I don't want to go first, you go first. And we were all in line, so we didn't really have a choice, but we didn't want to go. Um, and there was a lot of people that had never landed with an airplane before, so this is their first time in an airplane, um, which I don't know if it made it worse or better, <laughs> because they didn't know what to expect. And um, they opened the doors up. And you get the rush of wind, and you got all this heavy gear on you, and you're up at whatever, you know, 1,500 feet, 1,100 feet, something like that. So you're up pretty high already, and you're like, man, I don't know if I want to do this, but it's a little too late, because you don't want to be that guy that stops. And, uh, and as soon as they open the, the doors up on the, on the, back, of the back of the birds, um, the father said, yeah, I'm right here. And all it took was one step at a time. That's all. He was with me in that moment. And I needed him right there at that moment. And he was there. And it's just one step in front of the other. And long story short, I've been jumping for since uh, uh, November 97, so that many years, this many or whatever. And uh, all it took was that one time. And he said, here I am. And I walked out the door. And I've enjoyed it almost every time. And uh, 
for me, that was a very tangible, realistic, bringing it home. Hey, uh, you know, how do you abide in? Now that's him abiding in me. You know, I abide in him, and it's it's more like it's a relationship where you have to give a hundred percent. But he doesn't ask for much. He doesn't say, "Hey, you know, can you can you you know take the next five months off and go pray?" No, it's, "Hey, you know, this person needs prayer right now. You know, do you mind waking up a little earlier and pray for him?" Or sometimes, just like we were talking about earlier, it's a matter of going into Walmart and and hey, you know what, that person right there needs prayer. You know, it's those types of things that help cultivate that relationship that keep the abiding in each other. Um, let's see, 28, okay. The next one is he may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. So the next verse is 1 John 3, 1, please. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us, that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. Say that ties into what just happened. We read at the beginning of the the session was about how well you know what Samuel's they didn't uh, they didn't reject him they rejected God. Same thing. World rejects God. For this reason, the world does not know us. And that ties into First John two, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. Please. 15 says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. Hold on for a sec, Chris. If you want to go back, please, to 15. Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, Love of the Father is not in Why is that? Well, that means that we are falling under the system of creating our own king. It says, you know what? And you saw what was bad. We listed them. I went very slow so we could all see point by point, point by point, point by point. I said that five times. How hard it was for them. You take your kids, you're going to take your sons, your daughters, your food, your money, your land. Done, son. Sorry. So... Now it says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. What does that mean? That means that the world's way of doing things, the system, you know what, I need to save up all my money because I don't know if the recession's coming. I need to do this for me or my family. Is that really our call? No, it's not. It's God's call. He is the king, not us. 16, please. Make sure. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. On 15, he talks about, oh, I'm sorry, right there, on 16, he talks about pride of life. That also, well, before I get into that, the pride of life, what exactly is that? Does God ever say, hey, you know what, pride's awesome, pride's great, we should be more prideful. No. In fact, he says the exact opposite. Do you want better? What was Satan? There you go. He was prideful. 
So that was the thing that turned. So that ought to be a huge indicator. Bells should be going off, whistles, red flags, whatever you want to say, on how important and how awful pride is. Period. No matter what form it takes, for no matter what reason, we should be steering away from that. Whether it's, uh, you know what, I've got these billion degrees on the wall, which I don't, but I have these billion degrees on the wall. Look at how smart I am. Or, of course, I know these things because I have this background. I've been a commuter engineer for 100 million years. I know this stuff. Stuff's easy. No. It's not. It's a matter of putting yourself, and when you do that, it's a matter of putting yourself in front and not God. James 4.6. Please. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Okay, so there we read, God is opposed to the proud. Uh, King James Version, please. But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. And amplified, please, sir. But he gives us more and more grace, power of the Holy Spirit, to meet this evil tendency in all others fully. That is why he says, God sets himself against the proud and haughty, but gives grace continually to the lowly, those who are humble enough to receive it. You can keep that scripture up, please, Chris. So you see all three, well, three different versions so you can kind of see a bigger picture of how God treats pride. And pride says, I am my own king. Pride says, I can do this. Pride says, I need to know things because I want to be more intelligent so that way I can be less, I can have less of God in my life and more of me. But he gives us more and more grace, the power of the Holy Spirit. The more we put him as king in front of our lives, the more that opens the door to grace. The more that opens us being abiding in Him and us in Him and He in us. And that ties into what we already read in 1 Samuel 15, 22 and 23. You don't have to bring it up, Chris. It's okay. And then in verse, 1 John 2, 15, verse 16 again. If you would, please. It's talking about for all is in the world the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride. And then in verse 16, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So what is that saying? That's also saying that, hey, I didn't give this to you. So that means you can get rid of it because you have authority over it. It's from the world. This is talking about not walking in love because if you're, if you're walking in pride, you're making yourself center and you cannot walk in love without you cannot walk in love if you put yourself center love points to god because love is sacrifice love says let me suffer so you don't have to period love looks at the other person more than themselves in a marriage i should be putting my own self down and looking at barrett i should be saying Baby, I love you. What can we do? What do you want to do today? 
Only if God says so. We're not getting a puppy. <laughs> that's what love is. And that's how we also link that into what God's, and Pastor Brian's already covered it, about what a godly marriage is. What is a godly marriage? It always points to God. 1 John 2.27, please. That ties into, that's okay, if you guys don't have it, we can go to 1 John 4.15. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. And then 1 John 4.12. Please. No one has ever seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love is perfected in us. So what does that mean? That means if we love one another, that is a great way. We'll be known by our fruit, right? That is a great way that people can see God in us. It's how we love one another. Not only that, it points us back to, hey, God abides in us. So that answers the question, again, of how do we abide? Will we continually foster or cultivate that relationship? And that ties into 1 John 4.13, please. But by this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given up, given us of His Spirit. Where did we hear that? Again, last week by Pastor Nicole about His, about his Holy Spirit and how He has given us His Spirit. Which also ties into what we learned a little while ago, which was, hey, His Spirit is already in us and teaches us. And it goes into what we just had about 1 John 2.27. And then 1 John 4.16, please. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. For God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So we'll take a second there, if you can keep the scripture up, please. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God. It confirms what we just said about how we abide with Him and what our fruits are. And by this, love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment because as He is, so also are we in this world. And I will tell you that I could sit here in camp and probably talk about a good hour on just that phrase right there. As He is, so also are we. Think about the magnitude of that Scripture. As He is, so also are we. What does that mean? It means we're an overcomer in all things. We're a Satan beater-upper. We have everything that we need already. As He is, so also are we. Period. There are no except for, or unless, or but, and there's no negative impact at all. It is all very laid out. As He is, so also are we. But how? Well, we walk in love. We abide in Him. Why? Because as He was in this world, He abided, abode? Anyway, with, the, with His Father. And how did He do that? 
I didn't say anything except by what my father says. He was constantly in communion with his father, our father. As he is, so also are we. We're to walk in day-to-day victory right there. And we have the tools to do so. And I'm going to read you a little bit more. The Old Testament prophets prophesied that in the future, the Messiah, or the Anointed One, would come and God of Heaven would set up a kingdom which would never be destroyed. It is easier to understand the message of Jesus with a basic understanding of the kingdom. The kingdom was the message that Jesus spoke and the only one he instructed his disciples to preach. This message was also referred to as salvation or the offer of eternal life. The kingdom. How's that work? Oh, we have a hierarchy. Bam. Person in charge. Us. Who is that in our own lives? It's rhetorical. You don't actually actually shout it. It's something you think about. Who is that? Do we say, you know what? I want to go eat here, and I want to go do this, and I want to go do this, and I want to do this. Or do we say, Father, what would you have me to do today? Or if you have a family, Father, what do you want us to do today? How can we minister to you? Because how dare we think that we know everything, because we don't, we've already established that, and what to do. And just because, you know what, you want to go to a ball game or watch a ball game on TV doesn't mean that that's what the Father wants. There's the obedience. You flip it around, you say, okay, Father, what would you have me to do? Or us. How can we bless you? How can we give your time? Because you know what? He doesn't ask for it. He asks us to love him. He asks, he wants to fellowship with us, his children. That's what he wants. Think about your own kids if you have any. How much you want them to want to be with you and include you in their stuff. You know, hey, Daddy, I need your help making this bike or, or whatever the case may be, building a treehouse, which was one of my enjoyment things when I grew up. It was when my dad uh, and I, in fact, he was building a fence. And I wanted a treehouse because I'm this tall. And I still want one. And he... He stopped building the fence, and he said, you know what? Let's build a treehouse. So we took the, the two-by-fours, bam, put them up, put the stairs going up, put the walls up, went and got more wood because he wasn't planning on building a treehouse that day. And we put a roof over my head. That's what the Father wants from us. That's what abiding with him is well. So it's not only is he king over our, our lives, but is he also... He's also Father that wants us to be with Him. That's what He wants. And on that note, we are going to go into the questions. Daniel 2.44, please. And I can read it to you guys in the... uh, Saving of time. And in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, 
and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. And it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms. And it shall stand forever. So, the God of heaven would set up a kingdom which would last for a thousand years, would be temporal, or never be destroyed. It would last forever. Exactly. And Matthew four seventeen. From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And 4.23, please. And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people. What was Jesus' message? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. And what does that point back to? That points back to, and I will read it word for word, Messages refer to as salvation or eternal life. And we've just gone over the kingdom message on what true abiding is. So how do we how do we get there? How do we open how do we open up? What's the first step? Well, I invite anybody here or anybody on live stream that's not saved. Say, you know what? Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and Savior. Wash away everything. Remove it. Let my life be yours. And that's the first step into it. So on that note, Pastor Brian, do you have anything else? Sir. Okay. That is it for the lesson for today. Thank you all. And.